Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash smartest for your free audiobook download. Hello, pumpkins. I'm Greg Proops, and this is the smartest man in the world, Proopcast. Once again, taking you to ether, this time from the salubrious confines of my very little office here in the Fortress of Proopitude, located somewhere in mysterious Western California. Hail and greetings, Proop Kittens, Proop Castilians, and Proop Catheters. This one takes place without a live audience, so you'll have to do all the reacting on your own. I'll leave appropriate space like the Rocky Horror Picture Show so you know when to yell. Say it. Uh, let's get right to the questions because we can. And then, of course, we'll do ads later. And I, I do want to say I'm leaving tomorrow for the um, Caribbean. It's a Lewis Black comedy cruise and there's a whole slew of comedians on it. No, I have no idea how it's going to happen. We will be recording from there uh, live in a salon. Uh, and I haven't the slightest notion of what people's gear is going to be like. I'm guessing more people wearing Aloha shirts that oughtn't be wearing Aloha shirts uh, since the reunion of... Uh, something that was funny that took place in the tropics. Uh, <laughs> I, of course, will be wearing a cowboy hat, so I look like a Hebrew bracero when I get there. Uh, that one records uh, next week, and then we'll be back in Los Angeles for a live proofcast at the Bar Lubitsch uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard, November 23rd, the night before Thanksgiving. What a great time to escape the constricting boa-like tentacles of your family and pop out for a quick thousand or so rounds uh, while you can drink as fast as you can. It's only an hour show. Uh, join me at the Bar Lubitsch, 7 p.m. Santa Monica Boulevard on November 23rd. Let's jump right into the question, shall we? If you're driving, hold onto the wheel tight because I think some of these are going to be corkers. I do not look at, nor do I scan it or preview in any way the questions all y'all send me. So if you wish to poke me with a question, uh, smartest at a Special thing. I almost forgot my own email address. Smartest at a special thing dot com. And I will uh, entertain any and all uh, questions here. Your proofness. And again, we come back to the the appellation part. Uh, you may address me as your proofness anytime you like. Uh, yes. Matt asks your proofness. Yes. Your matness. What is your favorite place on earth? Satch oh, and he signed it Satchel Page. Matt, that's so sweet. You're not Satchel Page. I know you're not because he's quite gone. My favorite place on earth, um, the first answer, if you're driving, try to hold in your sickness, is anywhere my wife is. <laughs> try not to drive off the road. My favorite place on earth, uh, there's so many. I'm going to start with San Francisco because it's my hometown. And uh, there's something about it that I love. It's a cosseted place full of Jews and marijuana and gays and weird parades and eccentricity. And uh, you, you really can't be, you really can't have too many agendas in San Francisco. Uh, I remember going to a peace march there and, and, uh, there was a guy on the side in a wheelchair who was a Vietnamese, uh, Vietnamese veteran. He was a Vietnamese veteran. He was a Siamese cat wearing a Vietnamese hat. Uh, I don't think he was Vietnamese. He appeared to be, an, uh, an, as we call it, say in politics, an African-American man. And speaking as a European-American, I think I can characterize him as such. It was a black guy in a wheelchair who had been in Vietnam. And he had a sign up, uh, 250,000 people in an anti-Iraq war protest. He had a sign up that said, where were you during my war? Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of the people weren't born yet, bro. You really kind of grinding some axes here. And then there was another guy a few feet later on wearing an all pink jumpsuit, singing to every single person who passed. All we are saying is give peace the chance. He was standing on one of the uh, muni uh, bus stops. And to me, that's what San Francisco. So there, I would also say Paris, uh, because... The center of Paris looks just like it did, I'm guessing, during La Belle Epoque, right? You can imagine what it was like to run around with Victor Hugo and take opium and go drink all day with Toulouse-Lautrec, who, by the way, invented the cocktail hour, which is an awesome part of uh, Toulouse-Lautrec's legacy. Not only was he uh, dwarfish and small and apparently had a penis that was shaped so weird that the prostitute, the Pigalle, called him Teapot. His nickname for the prostitutes that he frequented was Teapot. He would paint at all the performers at the uh, Folly Bergere. Uh, Jesus Christ. I am really out there at the Fortress of Proopitude today. We're going to have to put more bags of sand around the perimeter because I can feel a deluge coming from the outside. My paranoia is rising like the movie Forbidden Planet right now. I feel like Walter Pigeon with that weird hat on that makes you more intelligent, but only up to the level of like a retard alien. Uh, he did... Paintings of everyone who worked, uh, you know, uh, the famous one of the girl doing the can-can and all that. Uh, Toulouse-Lautrec we're talking about here. Uh, 
but he did invent the cocktail hour, which is, I think, an amazing accomplishment. And talk about a boon to mankind. And you should read his cookbook because there's like one, I think one dish is something like baked marmots and you're supposed to stalk the marmots while they're lying in the sun on their bellies. It's just fabulous. So I would say Paris and, uh, and then London. I was just in London for a week and uh, I really do love London. I think what I love most about it is digging black stuff out of your nose after walking around all day or the feeling that you get like your bones are aching to the very marrow of their being and it's only 60 degrees out. There's something about London cold that just cuts into your body and uh, really makes you ache from the inside out. And then, of course, you go into the next place after you've been walking down the street with the wind whipping in your eyes and the diesel bus is going by and it's overheated like a womb. The next place you walk into, you feel like you can't catch your breath and you can't get your clothes off fast enough. So London is a matter of layering at all times, removing layers and putting layers on and then pouring sweat down the back of my spine, no matter what time of year it is. So London, I would say. Uh, and of course the people are, they have a sense of humor for God's sakes. They're English. Uh, I think that covers it. You said favorite place and I've given you three. I would also say Edinburgh and a couple of places in Montreal. Uh, whoa. I like anywhere on the West coast. I'll be honest. Uh, the ethos that runs from just above Los Angeles all the way, uh, to Vancouver and into British Columbia that we have good weed. We care about wine. The food is going to be fuck off. There's going to be artisanal cheeses. Um, someone's going to say to you when they give you your uh, dinner, when you go to a restaurant, enjoy. They're going to order you to enjoy your food. That's what I like about the West Coast. Uh, the devotion to cultivating unbelievably strong uh, strains of marijuana and uh, fabulous wines, I think, is makes the West Coast kind of rule out. Notice I didn't put San Diego in there. There's parts of San Diego that are great. But then there's other parts of San Diego where it's like um, surf Nazis meet Navy people in a libertine area of sexually transmitted diseases while worshiping Reagan. So parts of it harsh my mel. Uh, thank you for the question, Matt. Scott Thrift asks, what an, what an intense name. And thank you for putting your last name in there. Uh, your name is, in fact, compact uh, and in no way profligate with those two short staccato syllables, Scott Thrift. Uh, you sound like a detective from a Walmart novel. Scott Thrift asks, Mr. Proops, yes, Mr. Thrift, do you ever enjoy a cigar? Do I fuck? Uh, not in a Clintonian sense. I don't do anything freaky with them, but I, I do enjoy a cigar. Um, they, I, I like the Cuban ones because uh, you can get them in Canada and England. In Canada, somehow they've marked them up to the billionth exponential power of being able to mark up a cigar. You buy a cigar and it's $45 and you're like, no, I don't want to live in the cigar. I don't want to eat the cigar. I just want to smoke it for an hour. Pardon me. Uh, I I, uh, I would say the uh, Monte Cristo number three is uh, is quite a good cigar. Um, if you're just hanging around town, though, any old Dominican will do. Let's face it: if you're drunk enough, a Hava Tampa's good, or uh, the Phillies blunts that people use to roll uh, weed in. Which I've never understood why you would use a cigar uh, wrapper to roll weed in. That just seems extra hardcore to me. But then again, in Europe, they always put tobacco in it. Uh, thank you, Mister Thrift. Jordan asks. Hmm, there's so many Jordans. I hope it's Michael Air Jordan who's asking this question. I really do. Also, there's a, a British page three girl named Jordan, and I hope she's asking it. Dear Mr. Ayatollah Proops. Well, that rules out both of them, I think, on that one there. Okay. Uh, e either it's an Iranian zealot or we're using this ironically. Uh, exactly how awful is Nicole Kidman? Wow. As an Australian, I'm perpetually ashamed that people like her and Hugh Jackman represent my country in Hollywood. Please answer in as much grisly detail as possible. Yours in eternal love, Jordan. Well, uh, first of all, Jordan, don't ever, ever fucking tell me what to do. Um, let's get that straight. I don't know if you're proud, not proud of being an Aussie or whatever, uh, and that you hate Nicole Kidman and you've got some kind of uh, burr up your ass about Hugh Jackman, but don't ever tell me in what grisly detail to... Uh, I know what you want. Uh, I get that. But your expectations are leading me down a contrary path. Uh, I think it was Johnny Cash on the album Live at Folsom Prison who once said, if you put the screws on me, I'll screw right out from under you. So to answer your question, uh, exactly how awful is Nicole Kidman? Well, let's put it this way. 
uh, once upon a time when she was just pale and fair and was in that horrible thriller with George Clooney about the missile that she was completely miscast in. And that uh, Practical Magic with Sandra Bullock where she was supposed to be the loose libertine witch. And at one point she threw her hands in the air and went, look out, fellas, I'm in town or whatever. And you were like, no, not since Ashley Judd have I felt a cold chill cross my spine like a rabbit ran over my grave when you tried to sex it up in that scene. However, saying that, the Val Kilmer Batman, which I think was Batman Forever, she kind of hots it up in that one with the big orange wig and the tight gown. The thing is, she's really tall, and I find that attractive. Uh, is she fetchingly gorgeous? No. My wife seen her in person years ago in London at the Ivy restaurant, and she said she was translucent skin. Absolutely stunning. Um, I think that's going on in person. Do I get a sense of humor from her? Yeah, a little bit, because she is an Aussie girl, so I get that she'll have a drink or whatever and make a fart joke or whatever you know you guys like. Uh as an actor, I can't believe she won an Oscar. I know she wore a koala bear nose in the hours and whatever, and, and she played someone who committed suicide, and that's very tragic. But it really, isn't it the inverse, uh, God rest his soul, Cliff Robertson, RIP, uh, isn't it the reverse retard factor? When you put a funny nose on, or like you're Charlize Theron, and you play a, a fat prostitute, or, or, or um, Halle Berry, and you get uh, raped by a white guy... That's almost an immediate Oscar. Kind of like the Natalie Portman one last year. Natalie Portman, if you put her in a wet paper bag, could not convince the paper bag to open up to let her out of it, okay? In other words, she couldn't act her way out of a wet one, but she was perfect for Black Swan. I loved the movie, and I loved what she did with her kinetic, weird eye makeup and the jittering. Um, did she have to be a ballet dancer? No, you fucking douchebags. It's a movie, okay? Nicole Kidman isn't actually a writer from the Bloomsbury Group from earlier in the 20th century. She was playing one with a funny nose on and a hat. But when beautiful women sacrifice their beauty to be ugly on screen, I'm just saying, uh, I wouldn't be that ashamed of her. Ever since she married uh, Keith Urban and they both got dueling Botox, that weirds me out a little more than anything else. But remember, she was with Tom Cruise. So there's something inside her that needed to, you know what I mean, blow up. Uh, Hugh Jackman, he's all right. You know, he played Peter Allen on Broadway and he loves to sing and dance. So there's always that question in the back of everyone's mind. And I should talk because there's always that question about me. Uh, but I do love him as the Wolverine more than anything else. No, I didn't see Aliens and Cowboys and Aliens, was it? I didn't see that one because I fly a lot and I'm bound to see it soon. Um, I wouldn't say they're the two worst people from your country. And I happen to love Russell Crowe, by the way, even though I saw Robin Hood. And in the Robin Hood, Ridley Scott version, by the way, Robin Hood is fat, 50 years old, and just starts the gang at that point. I had always thought from the old movies that it was like Errol Flynn, and he was hot, and he was 22, and he had, you know, I'm tired of the oppression of the Sheriff of Nottingham and King John and all that. In this one, it was the most convoluted. He assumes another identity, and then he tries to get it on with Kate Blanchett, who they have dressing through a screen, and you see Kate Blanchett's, uh, uh, you know, like silhouette naked. The problem is it's Kate Blanchett's silhouette naked. It's like seeing a whippet naked. I don't see a whippet and go, boy, would I like to get on that and ride around the course until the bone comes home. Um, Kate Blanchett is a perfectly fine actor. Um, booming it up is not what I would say. I wouldn't, you know, give, put Selma Hayek on the other side of the screen or who's the one that's on uh, Modern Family? Sophia Vergera. Put her on the other side in the silhouette and I think you'll see a lot more um, of Little John. That's all I'm saying. I, would, I think there's worse uh, actors from your country, worse Australian actors. Uh, although, having said that, Cape Blanchett I like, and um, Hugo Weaving I adore, because he played uh, Guy Fawkes in V for Vendetta, and now everybody at the Occupy movement wears the anonymous mask at all times. And I always thought, what a giant Leviathan undertaking to be in a movie, have to go to the set all day, and for 12 hours a day wear that goddamn mask, and have nobody see you through the whole fucking movie, and yet still be, uh, give a convincing and awesome performance. And of course he was the, the giant, he was the head elf in all the Lord of the Rings movies, and if you watch closely, Liv Tyler, Kate Blanchett, and him do not wear any makeup, because they actually look like that in real life. They have really weird pointed ears and high foreheads. Uh, I guess I've really run away with the question. I, I went into grisly detail, but not as much about how much I hate them because I don't think I hate them as much as you do. I'm trying to think of an Australian or Kiwi actor that I have had enough of. I'll come back to that. Thank you for your question, Jordan. I'm sorry for the crushing disappointment of not running Hugh Jackman down. Yeah, we could concentrate on some of the shitty movies. The Ashley Judd romantic comedy that he made, I actually killed myself during the middle of it. It was so fucking shitty. Um, and Nicole Kidman, her bewitched. Why? Why? Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman in a, in a comedy is not a recipe for anything. 
It's like when Adam Sandler plays a girl and himself in a comedy, or when Eddie Murphy plays an entire family and himself in a comedy, or any of those type of movies. And by the way, while we're on this subject, I can't stand when any comedian plays every part in a movie. It worked once. It's an old movie called Kind Hearts and Coronets with Alec Guinness. It's an Ealing comedy. And he plays a, a, a upper-class douchebag in the first scene named Asscoin Gascoin. And this movie's from the 50s. I thought that was funnier than any Clumps movie or what's the one with Michael Keaton where he plays, a, you know, one, one of them is a retard and one of them is slightly clumsy and multiplicity. You know, multiplicity. And this Adam Sandler one where he plays a girl who looks just like Sarah Jessica Parker from the 90s, by the way. That could be her in Miami story or whatever, L.A. story. Um, don't do it. You're not that talented. It's not that great to see you as a woman. It's really... It blows ass. All right. Uh, Taylor asks, Hello, your proofness. Hello, Taylor. I would like to know how you feel. Hello, Mickey. Hello, Mr. Stokowski. I would like to know how you feel about the recent uproar about wanting to ban tobacco chewing in baseball. I think it's bullshit. What they should ban in baseball is white, older men owning teams. I think I've said this a million times. The O'Malley's are talking about buying the Dodgers again, and I want them to. I think there should be more chewing. You know what happened, though, is they don't let people chew in the minors anymore. Uh, some... Some pussy got mouth cancer or a hole developed in their cheek or some nonsense. And then everybody's to blame. Uh, when I grew up, everybody chewed and everybody wore a crew cut and it was awesome. Oh, there's the theme song to my show going off in the background. How did that happen? What a coincidence. Uh, let's see. So that answer that I hope that answers your question, Taylor. I think it's nonsense. I think the players should do whatever they want. Uh, one of the best parts of Jim Leyritz as a manager uh, is that he chain-smoked backstage. And backstage, well, let's call it in the dugout, shall we, or perhaps in the tunnel. So did Earl Weaver, who was the former manager of the Baltimore Orioles and was just awesome. Uh, and I really think there's a place in the game for tobacco. One of my favorite pitchers that pitched for the Giants in the 80s. He also pitched for the Cubs and the Pirates and many other teams. His name was Rick Rushell. They called him Big Daddy. And they called him Big Daddy because, let's face it, he was fat from the glory days of the game when players used to be fat. Uh, I don't think there's hardly any anymore. Big Big Poppy, he's probably as close as coming to a fat player on the Sox. Uh, what's his name? Who used to play for the Yanks who pitched? Uh, oh, well, CeCe Sabathia is fat. Okay, there you are. You're right. Sabathia is fat. He is just straight out fucking overweight on the mound. No, uh, Wellesley Boomer, who used to pitch for the Yanks, he was openly fat. But his arm was made of elastic, so he could really did pitch like 18, 19 years in the bigs and just kept coming back and winning double digits every year. Never trained, ate pizza, took acid, tried to wear Babers cap on the field once, and they made him take it off because it wasn't regulation. I love him for that. And I love Sabathia for being a fat ass. If you can win 19 games and be a fat ass, I say do it. Rick Russell won 19 games for the Giants one year and weighed about 225. He was a kitty cat off the mound, though. Uh, but his pregame training ritual was a Diet Pepsi, a Marlboro, and a Louis L'Amour novel. And I think that's the greatest training regimen that I've ever heard from a ball player, for a ball player. Uh, thank you, Taylor. Uh, Jason in Duluth, your faithful propophile. Oh, I like that, propophile. That kind of means like I should have my picture up at the post office. Uh, Jason in Duluth, good day, Commander. Good day, Jason. I'm thinking it will eventually be torch and pitchfork time if we really want to balance the power and influence of our government. And I'm wondering what supplies I should stock up on or what participles you should dangle uh, upon which you should stock up. Uh, thanks for the free education. Oh, darling, you're welcome. Uh, I would pack away canned goods. I'm partial to sardines, although I think you're going to get bored with them after a while. Um, I think those, those uh, Van de Kamp pork and beans, there's something irresistible about how sugary they are and how salty at the same time. I would get lots and lots of crackers as well. One thing you're going to want is batteries. And um, don't put them in the radio right now, but keep them separate. And that way they last longer. Um, there's also these weird Russian hand crank things you can get at the hardware store where you crank it up and it, it plays the radio and it has a shitty flashlight. And it has... Wow, it is electronic mayhem day here at the Fortress of Prupitude. Everyone's device has gone off. It's awesome. Uh, I would also uh, bring a lot of underwear. And I think some woolite, because you're going to be doing some hand washing if the shit really hits the fan. And you're going to need to do those undies out. Maybe a little bag for those as well. Um, I always think of things like Stephen King's The Stand, where everybody's sacking all the grocery stores after the world has ended and there's still a lot of stuff. You realize there's so many preservatives and so many things. Whole Foods will be useless. You're going to want to go to a Ralph's 
or a, a Safeway or somewhere where they actually have aisle after aisle of shit that's going to last till the end of time. Uh, what other supplies should you stock up on? I don't know about guns. I'm not a big gun person. I really feel like if you have a gun, someone's going to shoot you just because you have it and you're asking for it. Uh, in the universe. However, a really bitching knife is not out of the question. One that has a bunch of attachments. I'm partial to the Swiss Army ones that have the weird magnifying glass and the toothpick and the tweezers because there's even a saw. There's like a little saw on one of them and you're like, Who, wh- how long would you have to saw something? I think we can find out if, if we really, if Occupy Earth takes over and the government fights us in the streets um, using corporate bullets made of the blood of the workers, which is, I think, going to be next. Uh, I like its torch and pitchfork time. Uh, there's no chasing Chevron back to the castle, by the way. <laughs> What's going to happen is that that petroleum is going to catch on fire and there's going to be a giant mess and they're never going to clean it up. Oh, that already happened. By the way, there was an article today uh, on the interwebs um, talking about go on one of the lefty sites like uh, uh, Daily Cost or something. I'm sure it'll be there. I don't know why I recommended Daily Cost. I think he's a cocksucker, but go on BuzzFlash, one of those, and you'll find it. Um, about how... Uh, no, there's a list of a couple hundred corporations of studies been done and none of them have paid taxes in the last few years. And yet, remember, we're under austerity measures because, gosh, we were so greedy and mortgaged our houses. All right. Thank you, Jason and Duluth. Cheers, Greg. Greg asks, hola, Greg. Hello, Greg. Hola. Que pasa, Greg? Eh, nada más. What do you think of the Grateful Dead and the Deadheads? You Rockets, you are from San Fran. Yes, I am aware I am from San Fran and cheers to you. Um, I, I think we covered the Grateful Dead on an earlier poop cast, it seems to me. But I'll give it a go. Um, I think they're amazingly singular. It's not the kind of music I love. Uh, I had two very close friends in high school who really loved them. Uh, and, and in fact, went to the... Um, uh, I think the last show at Winterland was the Blues Brothers and the Grateful Dead. Or they didn't. I can't remember. I just remember having a stone discussion with one of them a few weeks ago about it. In any case, uh, I went to a show at the Winterland... I did tell this story because I remember saying that Winterland, someone always threw up next to me and you could pull pieces of wood off the floor. It was a really skeezy venue in a, in a dicey-ass neighborhood. Uh, and and girls did dance in barefoot in swirly dresses and swirled around and did the stone dance. And there was a, a banner that said uh, 4,264, whatever the number was, days since they had last played Dark Star. Apparently, the playing of Dark Star was an extraordinarily significant event in dead history. And they were counting the days till they played it again. I saw them with Keith and Donna Goodshow, Godshaw, how do you say their name, uh, in the band. And then they died later in a car accident, or Keith did. And then uh, I believe Brent Midland took over uh, <clears throat> as the keyboard player. And then lastly, because it's, everything's about the tubes with me, Vince Welnick, who was the piano player from the tubes, took over as the keyboard player in The Dead. And him and Jerry were close. And then when Jerry uh, died of quitting heroin, which is how he died, I'll never forget. I was on the road in Scotland and my wife and I were staying in a lodge called Lochnaki. And uh, the owner was crazy. And my wife would order wine and I remember being in the bathroom, coming back from the bathroom or the toilet, as we say in Scotland. And uh, as I walked by him, he went, it's a Beaujolais. Uh, he was <laughs> hipping me to which wine my wife had picked, but he was giving it to me sub rosa, you know, like left-handed. <laughs> Um, and then he said there was a woman who lived nearby who made uh, local Scottish wine that was apparently awful, made of elderberries or something. And a certain woman named Carstairs. Uh, so they were quite mad. And I asked for a key to the room. We checked into the room. Uh, and, and the maid was a barefoot Kiwi girl. I swear to God. And you would go to her, how are you today? And she'd go, listen. And then she offered us bread. And it was the first time I heard the Kiwi accent hardcore. And she went, would you like some bread with chia? And we were like, it took me two days to figure out she meant bread with cheddar. Breed with cheetah. Uh, anyway, he was quite mad. And we went down to Loch Ness, and, which was quite nearby. You could walk it. We walked down to Loch Ness and sat there for two and a half hours because everything in Loch Ness looks like the monster. There's fish jumping out of it. There's ripples. There's eddies. There's torrents. There's currents. There's logs. There's boats going by. You hear splash, and you turn, and you go, Who's the little Loch Ness Monster? And then, no, it wasn't the fucking Loch Ness Monster. It was a salmon, or whatever. But that's what makes Loch Ness extra special good. It's huge, too, by the way. It's really huge. So Jerry died. I don't know. I remember reading it in the British papers. He had checked himself into rehab. And he'd quit shooting up. And that's what killed him, I think. His heart fucking gave out while he was in rehab. My favorite Jerry Garcia memory is... He's a really nice person is what I got the idea. And the Grateful Dead was amazingly druggy. My wife has 
a theory that the wimpier the group, the more drugs and the weirder you are. You know, it's kind of the Brian Wilson Fleetwood Mac corollary. Like, Stevie Nicks did more coke than, you, than you've ever dreamed of doing. Like, whole legions of the Ecuadorian Marines have not done as much coke as Stevie Nicks. And that makes it awesome. Uh, when you're rocking, a song goes, Just like a sing a song. Right? So the Grateful Dead, who did, like, what? Kind of like, let's just be honest. It sounds like shitty country music. Um... <laughs> They did a lot of heroin and a lot of coke. When they were just doing coke and weed and acid, that was when they were sober. When they weren't sober, they were doing lots of 2G as well. Why do you think Bob Dylan toured with them? Uh, so he was in the car. He was, I guess he was driving back to where he lived in Sausalito, which is just north of San Francisco, right over the Golden Gate Bridge. It takes about mm, 20 minutes to get there from San Francisco, even on a bad night. And he was parked in Golden Gate Park, pulled over in the Beamer, smoking coke, right, in the car. The cop comes over on the window. Down goes the window. He's like, oh, fuck. Really, Jerry? Jerry's like smoking a rock in the car. And he goes like, hey, officer, you know, good evening. And he's like, I've got to arrest you. I, there's no way I can fucking overlook this one. And all I could think of when I was reading the story was, you live 20 minutes away. That's how hardcore you are. And for that, I worship Jerry Garcia. Uh, and uh, I guess there's fish now and everything. I saw the Grateful Dead sing the national anthem at Candlestick several times. Uh, and no, it didn't take 25 minutes. Although it would have been great if they tuned up for the first 15. That's what I remember about seeing them most of all. Sometimes they tuned up for as long as they played. They would tune up for 5, 10 minutes. And then Jerry would go, oh, no, no, ding, 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 ding. Hey, sorry, we just want it to sound good. <laughs> Having said that, me and my uncle were rolling to town. All right, they had some good jams. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Thanks, Greg. No problem, Greg. Hey, uh, if you like reading, and who doesn't? I know I does. Uh, Audible.com uh, uh, gives away a free audio book, a uh, free audio download when you sign up for a free trial today. Go to www. And by the way, saying World Wide Web is shorter than saying www. I've never understood why we don't say World Wide Web audiblepodcast.com audiblepodcast.com stroke oh slash sorry uh, slash smartest uh, audible www.audiblepodcast.com slash smartest and you'll get a free audio download uh, the book I've chosen today uh, coincidentally is uh, Satchel by Larry Dye which uh, Larry Tye which was quite a good read uh, I would recommend the book Satchel wrote himself or Ghost wrote but this one is really comprehensive and I want to read you a little um uh a little bit of it. It's read by Dominic Holland, is it, on the um, uh, on the Audible, but I can't do his voice. He's a husky voice. Matt, the producer, said he sounded like Alec Baldwin. I didn't think he was that virile, but he did have a kind of an Alec Baldwin quality. This is uh, page 263 of the book Satchel. Satchel Page, by the way, in case you're just tuning in and this is your first one, was a pitcher in the Negro Leagues. Do they still exist? No. Get a fucking grip, okay? The reason why there was a Negro Leagues was because we wouldn't let Negroes play uh, adult reindeer games with white people only acceptable Cubans and stuff like that and a few Indians who were all called chief then finally the color line was broken by Jackie Robinson in 1947 Satchel came in in 48 after Larry Doby uh, and pitched in the World Series that year I just played Cleveland this year it's very significant to them because it's the last world championship they won as a baseball team and by the way congratulations to the St. Louis Cardinals even though I do not root for you you beat the Texas Rangers and for that I will love you forever. This is my impression of Humphrey Bogart reading from the Satchel Page biography, Satchel. Uh, hitting a homer off Page was a career maker for anyone skilled enough to manage it. Even striking out ensured a story for life. Fans wanted to touch him like they might Superman or the Lone Ranger to test if he was real and hope the magic rubbed off. Hank Aaron was not easily impressed but he was with his fellow Mobile native. There was something about the man that made me believe in him. He was brilliant. A lot of people might not understand how a man who talked and carried on the way Satchel did could be brilliant. But coming from the same background, I understood him. Believe me, Satchel Page had life figured out. I only do it as Bogey because there's an awesome old-time baseball film of Bogey talking about going to the ballpark. And he says... You go out to the ballpark, you scream, it's good for your lungs. <laughs> and he says, and there's girls, pretty girls, lots of them, but none as pretty as baby. 
Are you listening, baby? And the whole country knew when he did it in the 50s. That meant Lauren Bacall. They were a famous couple, and she was baby. And she was famous to the country as baby. So when he goes, are you listening, baby? I always love that part. Uh, Audible.com. Uh, and you'll get a free book, my brothers, including Satchel, if you want it. Not read by me or me doing bad Humphrey Bogart. Michael asks, uh, you, Hi, Greg. Hi, Michael. Gosh, you're, you're a peppy pup. Do you feel the overall decline in popularity in baseball? Wow. See, I don't read these. This is a pure random chance. Of course, the, the, the Proopcast circulates around a small nucleus, as you might know, of drugs, food, foreign countries, old movies, bad impressions, and Negro League. So it's, we're likely to run aground on one of those rocks if we, as we keep moving here. Do you feel that the overall decline of the popularity of baseball in favor of football says anything about American culture as a whole? Cheers, Michael. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, well, de Tocqueville might have had quite a lot to say that about that, about the American character, excuse me, and baseball. And of course, Walt Whitman said it best. I see great things in baseball, for it is our game. Um, baseball comes from a time when uh, uh, white bourgeois people wanted to have entertainment of their own and took trains to go do it and stuff like that. There's also that pastoral, rural, you know, kind of bullshit aspect to it. Although I, I think when you talk pastoral and rural, someone like Satchel Paige, who uh, I believe it was Dizzy Dean uh, who said he grew up throwing rocks at black guys and Satchel Paige said, I grew up throwing rocks at black white guys, but they didn't use those words. Um, gives you that, you know, I came from the farm, you know, uh, Bob Feller who passed away this year and was a glorious pitcher, literally grew up on a farm in Van Meter, Iowa, which had no people. And he carried on coming back to Van Meter the rest of his life where he was celebrated every year. Uh, because it was a town with a couple thousand people and he won games in the, you know, he pitched in the World Series, he struck out 250 guys, he won 250 games, he won 20 games when he was like 18 years old. Um, we love that element of it. <clears throat> I think the thing about baseball, you know, because there's Babe Ruth and he's from the slums and he was smoking when he was five and he went to reform school and he was beaten by priests and then he hit all these home runs and got all the pussy in the world and, 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 and drank all the beers and fucked all the girls and smoked a lot of cigars. And then there's Reggie Jackson, you know, uh, who's a uh, braggadocio and, and has freckled face. And when he was dating white girls, when he went to ASU, they were on his dick. And then he goes to the Yankees and hits three home runs in a game. And I mean, I think that's the fun of it, right? Uh, or, or even now, all the awesome, colorful uh, players in the big leagues. Uh, the Dodgers had Manuel Ramirez, who took fucking steroids and wore a, this weird dreadlocks and wore baggy pants and was unbelievably popular with kids. The most popular item I can think of the Dodgers have had in the last few years as a promotional thing was they would sell little Man Ram wigs and all the kids wore them to the park. They loved him. Um, I think that's the magic of it. Um, the fact that football's more popular doesn't surprise me at all. One, football's over quickly. Uh, it all takes place in a, a course of a couple of days. The season's shorter and you can gamble on it. It's a much more compact vehicle for gambling. And also the Super Bowl provides this one-off giant hit of gambling that's worldwide. And that's what people like. That's like the final match of the World Cup um, or the Kentucky Derby or, 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 or the Irish Sweepstakes or any of those one-time big hit gambling events. People love to gamble on sports. It's kind of the reason why there is professional sports. It's absolutely born out of that. Uh, what about the pride of athleticism and the, and the dedication to a craft and the discipline of bringing your entire mind and body to the equipoise of one specific task that you perform physically better than anyone else? Yeah. Uh, maybe you've heard of the, the pool at work or the point spread or the over and under, which are reported duly on television and everyone talks about it all the time. I think gambling is a huge part of it. Uh, and football, believe me, uh, people are betting on the Super Bowl in foreign countries. And they don't even know what it is or, or, or what the game is, really. They just know you, they can take a spread, they can take an over, they can take an under, whatever the gig is, first touchdown, first punt, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm always in Las Vegas because I play with uh, Drew Carey, formerly Two and a Half Men, uh, at, at the MGM Grand. And we're always there on Super Bowl weekend. And when you watch people blow their child's orthodox money on these fucking games, on the insane bets they're doing, it is just fucking crazy. So I think... That, the gladiatorial aspect of football, the fact that there's not much playing in football, the playing time is really small compared to the standing around time, and yet people complain baseball's boring. Uh, the standing around time in baseball is commensurate with the playing time in baseball, and there's no clock. In football, they stand around all the goddamn day, put their hands in their pants, and I just think it's the, the violence that people really respond to. They like the hitting. Uh, also, it, 
there's nothing like a long bomb aerial pass shown in slow motion where a guy just catches it in the end zone. It's extraordinary. It's our it's our ballet. And when I say our, I mean straight white guy uh, ballet. Um, I don't know what it says about American culture. We like to gamble and we have um, not sublimated all our violent tendencies, which brings me to this point. Uh, when you speak about violent tendencies, uh, more Gaddafi's uh, untimely demise is not something the world is going to mourn perpetually. Like when Saddam Hussein got it, you think, well, good riddance to a bad cocksucker who committed genocide. And, and also, of course, the element of him having you know, been involved in the Lockerbie plot and really Libya never answered for that. But let me put it to you like this. Uh, first of all, he was the most uh, eccentric, strange and peacocky of all the uh, the finery and raiment that the, the links to which Muammar Gaddafi would go to entertain us with jalabas, dashikis, harem pants, turbans, uh, what do they call them? P- p- pudgeries, uh, dishdash, uh, military hats, epaulets, uh, all female hot African bodyguards. Um, he he was clearly insane and delusional and fronted the West for a long time. And I kind of always loved him for that. And we let him back in, if you recall. After Lockerbie, Libya was cut out. Before Lockerbie, Reagan was trying to bomb him into submission. Excuse me. But... We let him back in, and it was George W. Bush who let him back in. They promised to help us. We forgot about Lockerbie, remember? Uh, Bush let Libya come back in, and all of a sudden I was seeing travel sections about going to Libya because Lepnis Magda's there, and astounding Roman ruins. Also, uh, you know, it, it's a place of immense history uh, in between in the Maghreb, right? You know, they're near Egypt, in between Algeria uh, and Egypt, uh the Sudan, there's so many different weird influences. They were a highly educated country. Uh, people in, in Libya were literate. Um, we let him back in. We let him come and speak at the United Nations. Remember, he said he wanted Obama to be president for life about a year after Obama got elected and wore a series of weird outfits and purportedly had a tent inside his hotel room in the suite in New York when he gave the speech to the United Nations. We embraced him, just like we embraced Saddam Hussein, all during when he was dictator when the Iraqis let a silkworm missile loose on us and sank the Stark and all hands died, we forgave Saddam Hussein that in the 80s. Check your fucking history and don't contradict me and take that look off your face right now. They were at war with Iran through a good deal of the 80s and we supported Iraq during that whole war. Then we decided it was time when they invaded Kuwait that we were going to take the oil back and blah, 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 blah. That's first Gulf War. Second Gulf War was they tried to kill my daddy. We won all the money. We made up 9-11. We attacked Iraq again. Then my point is this. We let Saddam Hussein be killed by a bunch of guys wearing fucking shakos on their heads. They wore full facial masks. They did not have the temerity and the dignity to fucking execute a dictator in the proper way a dictator should be executed, which is, I'm going to answer your question, well, what's fucking proper way for a dictator to be executed, Greg? This is how. You try them in a court of law because we're not fucking jungle savages. We purport not to be. What about America being all special? What about America being that chosen democracy that's going to lead uh, the rest of the world and light the lamp of fucking freedom that everybody can see uh, the shining Statue of Liberty's eyes glowing at them in the dark by? Do you think letting Saddam Hussein be hung by that pack of fucking jackals made us look like we gave a shit about the rule of law? Do you think nuking people from the air with drones, including that American citizen we nailed a couple of weeks ago, makes us look like we're stanchions of fucking liberty? Saddam Hussein stood there with that noose around his neck and said to them, you fucking dogs. You don't even have the fucking bravery to let the camera see who the fuck you are. It reminded me of when Charles I... Uh, was killed by Cromwell and that lot. Uh, he wore two uh, shirts to the scaffold. He, he had his, his valet put him in two shirts and the valet said, why two shirts, your highness? And he said, because if it's cold, I don't want to shiver. I don't want them to think I'm afraid. And when he got to the fucking uh, uh, headsman's block, he fucking went, do your worst and fucking stuck his head down and they fucking chopped his head off. And that's how Saddam Hussein acted. He acted like he had pride and dignity while a bunch of monkeys with automatic weapons jostled him. This is exactly what happened 
to Muammar Gaddafi. Do they deserve to be venerated? Do they deserve to live? Do they deserve this? No, but fuck you and your moralizing. What they deserve is the dignity of being tried by the United States since we use the rule of law as justification for invading these fucking countries. When France asked us to help carpet bomb the living fuck out of Libya, which by the way, go online and look it up. We flew the most sorties in Libya in this war. We flew thousands of sorties, whereas the French and the English didn't. But wasn't it funny that they were the ones who were seen to be leading this and that we were just lending a helping hand, even though we spent a bunch of money we don't have to oust him? So then they ran him down. They ran him down. They found Gaddafi in the middle of the desert. The, the gig is the last week. They got these South African mercenaries to come in. He was running wild at that point, or running loose. He knew the end was nigh. And dig this. They tortured and beat the fuck out of him and poked him around for a while. And he begged for his fucking life and squealed like a pig. And then they shot him down. Then they put him in a mall. Now he's buried in an unmarked grave in the desert. Is that fucking justice? Wouldn't it have been better if, like Slobodan Milosevic, we had made him go to the Hague and stand trial so that he could have told us all the bad things we did. The thing about executing people summarily when you hang them like a dog or when you shoot them down in the desert is you never find out everything. Because if they're alive, they can tell you. Because you can debrief them till the end of goddamn time. It's called the rule of law. It's called justice. And think about it. It makes me ashamed of this country that we let people get shot down like that in the desert and that we shoot people down like Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden's a cocksucker, no question. He should have been tried so we could have found out what he knows or if he's even relevant to the fucking game anymore. This remote control fucking butchery doesn't speak well. That says a lot more about American culture and more about our American government and what we allow them to do than football does. Thanks for the question, Michael. Uh, here's one from... Natty? N-A-T-Y. Natty? Kisses and love from your proudest kitten. Really? Are you my proudest kitten? Stand tall, kitten. Well, Natty. Amazing, Greg, and most poopfulness. Uh, okay. Uh, yes, and, and, and I, I. Hi, hi. Hi, exclamation point. Hi. Back to you, exclamation point. Question mark. Who are you? My name is Natty. I live in Argentina, and I am 17 years old. But enough of me. <laughs> All right, enough of you, Nady. Thank you for that uh, explanatory opener. If uh, you could choose between being drunk and being high for life with no consequences, which one would you choose? Kisses and love from your proudest kitten, Nady. Uh, I don't know if you mean every day, every minute for life, or if you mean I could be high and drunk every day with no consequences for life. It's a little of a semantic minefield there. I am often high and drunk almost every day for life. So it's a good question. It's pertinent to me. It's apt. I think I'd choose being high. Uh, I, I adore being drunk, but uh, uh, I, I always feel so bloody awful the next day. I really get bad hangovers because I tend to drink a lot of straight alcohol and then not drink the water and take the B vitamin. And... No consequences. Oh, no consequences. Oh, thank you, Matt, for pointing that out. That It was, in the, it was, in the, it was right there contained in the question. This is a toughie, man, because I, you know, red wine, right? I mean, you have to have red wine, don't you? Uh, and weed, kittens, what are mornings without weed? Um, which one would you choose? I'm going to say weed. I'm going to say weed. I'm going to say weed. But I reserve the right to back off on this one. If I know that, like, I could smoke all the weed I want and not die of, like, Snoop Dogg lung or whatever, but I could drink all the wine I wanted and never be hung over, that is a fucking toughie. Because it's easier to drink than it is to smoke. I mean, if you light a joint, people are like, holy fuck, who's smoking weed? But if you drink wine, people just go, oh, he's just a person. Uh, toughy. I'm going to say weed, but Nady, I'm coming back on that one. And uh, buenos dias to you in Argentina. Um, and well done in your president. Even though he's a bit of a fascist, he did well on the mind thing. Josh asks, dear Greg, uh, I apologize for the preface, but it's imperative to my question. Well, we haven't had the preface yet. Maybe your apology is not needed. This might be the best preface I've ever read. The last one was good. The last one was, Hi, my name is Nady. I live in Argentina. I'm 17 years old, but enough of me. I thought that was a cracker. Let's see what your preface is. When I was in high school, we were told to write a five-page essay to answer the question, why? One student simply wrote, why not? Handed in, and the teacher gave her an A+. I thought that was absolute bullshit. On both the teacher's part and the student's, what do you think? So really, the question that you're posing to me is, what do you think? 
Thanks for your time, Josh. Josh, you're welcome for my time. What do I think? I think of butterflies and waterfalls. I think of crustaceans uh, when they're boiled the night before and then put in the refrigerator and then served with mayonnaise the next day and lemon. I think of um, Italian clothes. I think of uh, Chelsea boots. I think of church's shoes and fine leather goods. I think of the Brunelleschi's immortal dome in Florence that I don't think has ever been topped. Um, I think of Joni Mitchell and her weird tuning and some of the awesome lyrics. Oh, I see. About your story. Um, I think you need to grow up a little, Josh. <laughs> the whole why, why not thing. If you recall last week's Poopcast, if you even listened, I believe it was called Ships. Someone asked, uh, why is there Santa? And I said, if not, we'd have to invent him. Sometimes the short and concise answer is actually the best one, as opposed to the long, garrulous, loquacious, endless answers that I provide. I think you're going to have to let an emotional um, resonance of that girl. I'm assuming it was a girl. I'm getting that from your, I'm getting from the rancor. She was an attractive girl who thought of that quippy, uh, Aristotelian, Sophoclean uh, uh, answer there. Or who am I thinking of? Not Sophocles. He's the playwright. Uh, Socrates, because Socrates always answered a question with a question, right? It's just Socratic method. Um, I think you're going to have to let that go. A plus, though, is pretty big. I, you know, the teacher was chuffed. The teacher was chuffed. What are you going to do? Josh, I can't make that right, what happened when you were in high school. But I can say, um, why not think of another question and hit me with that? Okay. Uh, thank you, Josh. Andrew Levine, Lavignon, Lavignon, Andrew Lavignon, Greg, Prince or Michael Jackson? If you want my opinion, whoa, I don't even get to answer before you're fucking jumping in here, Andy. If you want my opinion, brackets, which I don't think you do, my God, so many presumptions. This is like the Milky Way. There's a million points of light in this. It's Prince all the way. He's the genius. MJ's the idiot savant. Well, now you're just being cruel. Michael was far from an idiot savant. Uh, although I remember one of my friends said he couldn't work at a Taco Bell. He's so out of it. Uh, anyone who would buy like giant life-size monkeys and put them in their house and stuff it was a fucking lunatic. And he built an amusement park. And then everybody was like, he loves children. Why did he build an amusement park? To lure them to his house so that he could have sex with them. Okay, that was weird. And he did that. Um... I used to do a really hilarious routine about it because I'm his age. I'm Michael Jackson's age and Prince's as well. Um, men my age like foreign cars, red wine, and cigars. We don't like having a, a cancer-ridden 11-year-old Latino boys hanging from our man branch. That's not our first call. So yes, there was that part of Michael. Um, Michael could sing like a motherfucker. I believe it was George Carlin in one of his books who says, give him some kids and let him dance. Uh, I do agree, though, that Prince is probably, uh, obviously, a superior songwriter. I've seen Prince in concert, uh, and he was superb. Um, he's also kind of weird. I think you'd have to agree. Um, uh, but he did write uh, "Money Don't Matter Yesterday," and it sh "Money Didn't Matter Yesterday," and it sure don't matter tonight. And I think that's a Cole Porter kind of lyric. Uh, so I'll go Prince. I'll go Prince with you. But as you know, this is a very hard time for Michael J. and his fans because we're having to go through this insane trial with all the laying of blame and whatnot. When you take propofil. You want to die. I mean, I don't think he had many facial features left. I think his skin really hurt him. And I think he hated himself. You know what I mean? Just to get freaky about it. So blaming the doctor. If it wasn't that doctor, it's another doctor. This is Hollywood. This is Liz Taylor land, man. You can hook it up here. Uh, they will deliver to your house the most strongest fucking unbelievable narcotics. Um, and he wasn't taking narcotics necessarily. He was taking anesthesia, which uh, requires a state of mind I like to be high probably more than anyone you know, Andrew. But anesthesia is where I draw the line. I don't really, I don't like Novocaine in my brain, propofil in my, you know. So, uh, uh, Prince is the answer to that one. Um, and I believe it was Prince who said, you don't have to watch Dynasty to have an attitude. Ah. Uh. <laughs> and I met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine. And shouldn't he have said to a magazine? I always thought with a magazine really left it open on that one. How'd you like to waste some time and I could not resist when I was out in LA? Uh, Rachel from New Orleans. Uh, and hello, New Orleans. I'm glad you're listening. Thank you for listening, New Orleans, that most strategic and uh, unique of American cities. I'm sorry I didn't say you were one of my favorite places. 
But you're not. It's too freaky. I'm too scared there. Uh, Mr. Proops, what does boomtroculus mean? And did I spell it correctly? Rachel, you're a girl. I'm assuming you're a young girl. I don't want to get too into this. Um, go on proopcast.com and look at the second to last posting. It's a picture of Sophia Lauren making a, a funny face. Look at below Sophia Lauren's neck at what the rest of her is contained. Go back and look at Bridget Bardot, Claudia Cardinale. Um, Stephanie Powers, all the women that I put on the uh, site there, Deborah Harry, that's what Boom Troculus is. Now I think you know. Uh, Steve uh, asks, and by the way, this is our last question. I don't know how long this episode is. It seemed like it's almost a whole episode, really. Oh, kittens, we're, get, we're really getting toward the finish line here. I bet I have a question from last week that I didn't get to. Um, Thank you for listening. As I say, we'll be uh, back in Los Angeles. Uh, we're on a boat. I think it's the 9th of November. And you won't hear that one until we get back, I don't think. Are we trying to download it from the Emperor of the Freedom of the Seas now? I'm bringing back um, a Flash thingy. I don't know that much about computers. I'm bringing back something from the ship. But, so it won't go up till probably the 13th will be the next Proopcast. But thank you for listening to this little Prooper. We have um, uh, an app for the iPhone and an app for Droid. If you go to proopcast.com and scroll down a little bit, it's on the right and you can download them both. They cost money, right? What is it, $1.99 or something? It's pretty cheap and you're going to get free extra content. What does that mean, Greg? It means that I'm going to make something just for you. While I'm sitting here, I'm picturing you sitting at home in your pink fluffy uh, slippers with your curlers in your hair, eating uh, you know, uh, a bag of those Hershey's Kisses, the, the, the gold ones that have the little almonds in them. I'm thinking of you the whole time when I make the special material. That's all I'm thinking about. That and the imponderable question, if I could smoke weed or drink booze every day with no consequences, which one would it be? Those are the two things I'm thinking about. And koala bears. Uh, so please join us uh, in an app, won't you? I think you'll find they're fun. Uh, they're good fun. I don't have an iPhone yet. Um, I have a steam-powered uh, razor that uh, I, I actually have to pour paint in it to get it to show me colors. It's, I'm, I'm pretty primitive on the phone front, but I'm going to get an iPhone. And when I do, it's going to be Proop.5 Mach 3 or whatever. Steve Merrick. Uh, oh, and so please join us in an app, won't you? Go to Proopcast.com and uh, everything's right there for your delectation. Of course, the, the Proopcast is always free for you to download. Uh, you can go to iTunes as well and download it there. Um, or the Liberated Syndications. You can go there and download it. And the apps. The apps are the only thing we ask for money for. Steve Merrick asks, any plans to write a definitive Prooplopedia, Prooptonomicon, Proopex, or the Bible according to Proops, or Proopcordance, for that matter? Um, yes, there is. And it'll be called The Smartest Book in the World when I do it. I have no idea when it's coming out, but I have to put it together. It requires me having to read every word that I have spoken over the last year and then edit them. So you can see the Leviathan task I have before me. Not since Carter entered the tomb of Tutankhamun and tried to decipher the glyphs. Not since the Rosetta Stone was found by Napoleon's troops has this much fucking... I have to, I have to decode what I've said. I have to read it in demotic. I have to cover myself in papyrus. And it's just an enormous undertaking. It really is. Uh, so yes, but thank you for asking, Steve Merrick. Uh, we'll be back live. Uh, one will be from the boat. Uh, the Freedom of the Seas on the Lewis Black Comedy Cruise. That one you can expect in a week's time. Then we'll be live in Los Angeles back at the Bar Lubitsch, November 23rd, the night before Thanksgiving at 7 p.m. My name's been Greg Proops. Thank you for joining me on this hermetically sealed, no live people Proopcast of the smartest man in the world. I wish you nothing but joy and small Arctic ptarmigans. And for my app, Proop People, stay tuned for the bonus content which commences forthwith. <laughs>